him now. heads together to him just a moment in his presence maybe you're that person that's in need today that you say Lord don't pass me by will you just come my way and speak to me in a special and real way let the reality of God be mine and me surrender my all to you Lord giving everything without pretense making a full and total commitment to you. Lord Jesus, we're here in your presence today and we thank you for grace in our lives, Lord, and for the divine mercies of God, for the promise that you'd never leave us or forsake us. You'd be with us all the way to the end of the world. We're just asking, Lord, that you'll minister to our hearts and lives according to the need that is there. Bring healing to those that needs a healing. Maybe it's a healing in the soul. Maybe it's a healing in the spirit. Maybe it's a, Lord, a, a grudge or something, a root of bitterness that has got down into the heart. It needs to be rooted out. Lord, whatever it is, I pray that you'll deal with it. Lord, let healing come to the body as there are many sick. Lord, as we commit this day to you, Lord, it's a day of, fellowship, a day of communion, Lord, a day of dedication. And we ask, Lord, that you would bless us in this moment, this time, and let the word go forth in power today and minister to every heart and every life. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. God bless you. If you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 21, we got a full day ahead and looking forward to a good time in the Lord together. Amen. And um, we have uh, today, of course, the morning service. And right after that, we're just going to have a little dedicational service for our um, pavilion that we have, have uh, built. And, and uh, take just a few moments to do that. But we thank the Lord for that. And all of you that have um, uh, donated to that made it possible. We want to say thank you. And also, uh, also then we will have our fellowship meal together and, and then uh, communion foot washing with more word tonight. Amen. So we got a full day. Amen. And what a wonderful time to be in God's presence, to be with God's people. So take advantage of this. Make every moment count. Amen. Genesis chapter 21 and verse 1. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said... And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. Isn't it wonderful when God does what he says he will do? You can always count on him. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age. That's not saying nothing about her old age. But it was that old age too. This was a double miracle. 
and at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him Isaac, meaning laughter. God hath made me to rejoice. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, and as God commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck, for I have borne him a son in his old age. And as the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore, she said unto Abraham, cast out this bondswoman and her son, for the son of this bondswoman will, shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And, and God said unto Abraham, let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad, and because of thy bondswoman, but in all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And also of the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation, because he is thy seed. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water was spent in the bottle and she cast the child under one of the shrubs. And she went and sat down over against him a good way off as it were a bowshot. For she said, let me not see the death of the child. And, and she sat over against him and lift up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad and the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, what aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, hold him in thine hand, for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the water bottle with water and gave the lad drink. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. We're going to be speaking on this morning of the, the seed of the promise mocked. So it's again about El Shaddai and the visitation of the Almighty and the events that surround it. And I want you to remember this is a part of prophecy. So just as much as the rest of it is prophecy, you know that this also is prophetical. And I, I want you to uh, note that this will exactly happen. It will cause a separation in the body. You see, they were all one body, all called one seed of Abraham and a whole church of Abraham believers. But when Isaac was born and then the seed of Abraham, which was Isaac, was mocked, the promise was mocked. Then there came a separation. Now, it wasn't just human separation. God himself did the separating. 
God came along and said, listen to what Sarah said, because the, this child will not be heir with the, this child of the promise will not be heir with the child of the bondswoman. So this is prophecy. Remember the message of rapture. Brother Brandon spends the first half of that speaking about the scorners and the scoffers. That is all a part of the rapture hour. So they must be here. Now, so it's going to be your attitude toward the promise of God that will identify who you are. Now, if you'll turn with me to Romans 14, 17, I'm just going to use this for a foundation here. Uh, I want to divert for a moment, read a couple more scriptures to give me a, some background for what I want to speak on. But um, I want you to see Romans 4, 17 tells us what the kingdom of God is. And he said, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, which is, in that case, was religious forms, rules, and regulations, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So let's just take it like this. And we're going to say the kingdom of God is the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God is the Holy Ghost. Now I have a reason for going here before we go to my next scripture. Let's go to the Bible and let's turn to the Matthew chapter 22 and verse 2. And we're going to see the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of God. And it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. It is life in the Holy Ghost. So when you see the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God in the Bible, it is describing life in the Holy Ghost. All right? Now, so this is, this is now a parable that Jesus gives. And he says, life in the Holy Ghost. As the Holy Ghost reigns, there's going to be something that happens. It's going to be likened to a king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them which were bidden and to the wedding and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants and saying, tell them which are bidden. Um, behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatlings are killed and all the things are ready unto the marriage. Remember El Shaddai? In our story there, Isaac was, there was a feast made and there was an invitation given, but now there's a mocking of the seed during the time of the feast. Jesus said in the kingdom of heaven or in the realm of the Holy Ghost, when it is being poured out, there's going to be a, a feast that is going to be prepared. And there's going to be bidding to come to that feast. But notice he says, but they made light of it. They mocked it and went their way, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. So there's a persecution. But then when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, sent forth his armies, destroyed those murderers, burned up their city. And then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. 
So go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage, so that those servants went out on the highways and gathered together as many as they found, both good, bad, and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. God's going to have somebody. Amen. At the celebration feast. And when the king came in to see his guests, watch now, he still sees further mockery. He sees a man which had, which there, which had not on a wedding garment. You see, he didn't take seriously what he was being invited to. And he didn't prepare for the feast, which again is mocking. And he said unto him, friend, how comest thou hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And then said the the king to the servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. So you see, the the consequences was the same. Cast out the bondswoman. She went into the wilderness where there was wailing and gnashing of teeth. Amen. Amen. And cast out into outer darkness, into the wilderness because of the attitude toward the feast. Now, Abraham and and Sarah had met the almighty God. And to them, a miracle was promised and God had had come to bring them strength, to give them a faith, to bring forth, even though Sarah was 99 years old and Sarah was 90. Remember this types our body change and it types the renewing uh, of the body. It types the renewing of the church, the revival here in this last day that is promised to bring forth a bride who can reproduce Christ. And, the, and so El Shaddai is a type of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And we have been instructed to nurse our strength and refreshment from him. Amen. Because the Holy Ghost is the source that we get the renewing from. That we get the change. Remember, the change is not just going to happen in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. That change starts from the inside out. And so as, uh, as we look at this, I want you to think, um, as Brother Branham uh, so beautifully said this, and Abraham and his seed after him, he said, I'm the breasted God, I'm the strong one, lean on my bosom now and nurse from me my strength into your weak body, getting him ready for a miracle. So now let's take the type again. The Holy Ghost is given to get you ready for the miracle. Amen. Now that's what he done to the Pentecostals after the Western age. Now, what miracle are we talking about? It is the miracle of a new body. It is the miracle of the promised son, the coming of Jesus Christ, the long awaited son that we've been expecting now for 2000 years. Now here he's offered, here's what he offered the Pentecostals. He offered them the word in his fullness. That's right around 1906, the spirit of God began to be poured out upon the people in this age to bring an age, to bring a people to the fullness of the word, to the fullness of its power, to where God could be displayed in full strength. 
And he offered the Pentecostals the word in his fullness, unsealed, totally unsealed, totally revealed. But, uh, but they chose instead speaking in tongues. Amen. And tongues was given a place of more, of more importance, greater than the discernment of the thoughts and intents of the heart, which was the evidence of the word present. Amen. And that's, that was the same sign that Jesus performed when the word was made flesh. And, and this too, again, was a mockery. It was a making light of what God had sent in our generation. And once again, I want to say, we have been offered, God has offered to us the word in its fullness. The full land, the complete inheritance. And we don't have to limit ourselves to any one gift. We don't have to limit ourselves to speaking in tongues. One gift like the Pentecostals did, we can have the whole land. And God has offered us a full course menu because all the seven seals are open, which opens the entire book to us. But now watch what many have done with this. You see, right in the message community, instead of having the experience of the fullness of the Holy Ghost, too many have taken a secular denominational approach and like the Baptists just say, I believe the message. Amen, a mental assent to agree unto a doctrine and deny the supernatural birth of the word and doing so reject Christ. And this is making a mockery of the true Holy Ghost. When you take the Holy Ghost and it just make it a mental, uh, a mental assent or, or a dry-eyed confession, or just, uh, just an agreement that the word is true and you call that the Holy Ghost, that is mocking the spirit of God. It's making light of it. Now, you see, they're doing the same that Mary did. And Mary, you know, of course, confessed that the angel had came. Mary confessed that her child was born of a, of a supernatural birth. She confessed all of that. But in a moment, in a moment of weakness, when she went looking for Jesus who was there in the temple and standing before all those priests, she denied the supernatural birth by saying, your father and I have been looking for you and Jesus, the word, corrected the error. And he said, don't you know, I must be about my father's business. Jesus corrected, my father isn't this man. My father is God. And I must be about his business. Amen. So now, again, you see, in that moment of weakness, a good woman like Mary, of course, she hadn't received the Holy Ghost yet either, but in that moment, you know, standing before those priests, you know, she didn't want to look like, an, you know, an illegitimate birth or a fatherless son or, you know, or, or maybe in that moment, she was a little bit awkward to say, oh, he was born in the supernatural. So she said, "My fa- your father and I. Calling Joseph his father. And in that moment of weakness, denied the supernatural birth. 
And Brother Branham said she denied the supernatural birth. Pentecost took speaking in tongues. They denied the birth of the word. You see, that's exactly what they did. It takes so much of it, but we'll take the rest of it. It denied the birth of the word just like Mary did. In other words, they, they accepted a man-made formula from a denomination rather than the word of God. Now, like Brother Valdez said, I quoted last week, the Azusa movement took a manufactured tongue of a make, made up language, a, a da-dee-doo, you know, a da-dee-da-doo-dee, and denied the supernatural birth of the word, manufactured, and mocked, made a mockery out of the true gift of God. Now, again, this is what sends them to the tribulation. Weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, again, Brother Branham in 64, question and answer, he said, what's the Pentecostal age? After he come to there, he made the promise of El Shaddai, nurse from me. The question is, can you nurse? That was brought before the Pentecostals, can you nurse? But they didn't do it. They grabbed them a breast from denomination where they came out of. But the real seed come on to nurse that breast. I'm telling you, there's a real seed. Hallelujah. A real seed that's going to come and nurse from the breast of El Shaddai. Get a real true Holy Ghost, not just an anointing and infilling. Now, what's what he offered the Pentecostal? Now, what's what he offers us by the Holy Ghost? I want you to get this. He offered it to this last age, and the Pentecostals were the first to start to embrace it. Now, and so he offered it to them, but rather than that, they went to a denomination and nursed their strength of I spoke in tongues. I shouted, I danced, and I spoke in tongues. They took outward emotions and a manufactured tongue and exalted that over the promise of God, making a mockery of it. Hold my thought now. You see, as Brother Branham said, you know, I am the breasted God. I am this strong one. Lean on my bosom now. Nurse from me my strength into your weak body, getting him ready for the miracle. He let Pentecostals nurse his own strength, his own Holy Spirit as a baptism back into their weak bodies to give them faith for the rapture, to give them faith for miracles. Now, I want you to see what the Holy Ghost does that was offered to the Pentecostals that they took the breast of denomination for. What's now, what will it do? It will, it will nurse strength back into their weak bodies. Give them faith for a rapture. Amen. Give them faith for miracles. This is what the Holy Ghost will do. It'll give you rapture and faith. Hallelujah. Amen. Rapture and faith is not a tape. Rapture and faith is the Holy Ghost. It's what gives you, it's what gives you rapture and faith. Amen. So he said now what he, what he did to Abraham and seed after him, believe in confirmation, blood covenant, now injecting himself, his strength into his people. 
Look here. You say, Brother Tim, how can we live in our overcoming life in this evil age? Because you can nurse from him and his strength comes into you by the baptism of the Holy Ghost that gives you power over our life of sin. Now, so that's how we can stand in this age. Think of it. Think of it to bring us to a rapture. All we got to do is drink from the Holy Ghost. Amen, which is also Christ the word in its fullness with baptism after baptism of it, giving us faith for miracles and faith for rapture. Hallelujah. Well, what I'm trying to tell you is everything you need is in the Holy Ghost. You need healing, it's in the Holy Ghost. Get another drink from it. If you need deliverance, it's in the Holy Ghost. You need overcoming power. It's in the Holy Ghost. Get a drink of it. You can actually nurse his life into you. Now, this was Isaac. He was born of God's life. He wasn't born of Abraham's strength. He was born of the strength of El Shaddai. Now, in the, in the message, Lord shows the Father, and it suffices as he said, what do you have to do with the tree? You take a tree, you plant it in the ground, and then you have to water it. And as you water it, it doesn't do nothing but drink, drink, drink. And it has to drink more than its portion. And more it drinks, the bigger it swells. It pushes out limbs, it pushes out leaves, it pushes out blossom, it pushes out apples. And that's the way a Christian is. We're planted together in Christ Jesus who is an inexhaustible fountain of life and we are planted in Christ and we just drink and drink and drink and push out and everything we need of for the earthly journey, divine healing, the power of God, all these things is in every individual that's received the baptism of the Holy Ghost for you're planted in Christ, hallelujah. The Holy Ghost baptism and everything you have need of for this life journey, even the rapture is in you right then. Hallelujah. Amen. We might be waiting on the final quickening to the rapture, but I'll tell you, if you've got the Holy Ghost, you've got a faith. If there's only going to be one that make it out of this generation, I'm that one. God can no more deny me than deny himself because it's his own life in you. And Brother Brown said, now don't resent that. That's the truth. The rapture is in us now. I will prove it by the gospel. Those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he hath glorified. Hallelujah. Then in heaven today, we're glorified in the presence of God right now. And I'm just pushing out to it. Amen. Glory. God's in his word. You believe it? All right. So it's a refreshing. Now remember, it's a feast. And in the feast, there's refreshment. And this filling of the Holy Ghost is not merely an anointing or a baptism in the gifts, but it's now God injecting himself, his own strength into his people. How? By them nursing his own Holy Spirit as a baptism to give them faith for the rapture and faith for miracles. Now let's look in the Bible and see what's promised in this innate. 
Go to Acts chapter 3, verse 19. And he tells us to repent. Ye therefore and be converted that your sins might be blotted out. Sins are blotted out without conversion and repentance. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. God's going to be pouring out his spirit in these last days. And it's the times of refreshing. I'm going to give a feast. I'm going to give a feast of a seven course menu. I'm going to open in the entire book. Amen. Because we're celebrating that there is now a supernatural people on earth. Man, again, Isaac was not born of the will of man or the will of the flesh, but he was born of God. Look now and verse 20, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, of whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things. How many believe we're in that time? which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. In fact, what we read today was being prophesied. Amen. Of the seed of Abraham having a feast in this last day. Hallelujah. Celebrating that life is here. Celebrating that the joy is here. That that he made us to laugh. Who would have thought after 2,000 years and all the trouble down to the ages that the old church Sarah would bring forth a child. Who would thought there could be a rapture after all of this time when it's been given up on for years and years and years. When people have lost faith. But in this moment, God has made us to laugh. Hallelujah. We can look over and say denomination didn't do it. Isms of man didn't do it. Almighty God did this. This is not another child of the bondswoman. This is not another denomination rising up. This is a supernatural child. Watch now. Coming back in his full strength. What was the Holy Ghost given for? But Pentecost, what is it? It's a restoration of the same kind of grain that went into ground at the beginning, bringing all the fullness of the power of Pentecost by the baptism of the Holy Ghost in the last days. You know what it is? It's a people that the eagle anointing is on. How many knows we're in the eagle age? Under an eagle anointing. Amen. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. So you see, in the eagle age, there comes a time of renewing of strength. A time of refreshing, a feast time. A time of rejoicing. God has made us to laugh. Amen. Turn with me to Psalms 103, 101 verse, 103 verse 1. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, and who healeth all of thy diseases. Hallelujah. That's the benefits. 
are belonging to Abraham's seed. Amen. Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercy, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things. We're having a feast. In a time of great trouble, he has hid us in his pavilion. In his time of trouble, he has led us into shady green pastures. In the time of trouble, are you with me, church? There is a refreshment, a feast prepared. I'll set a table before you in the presence of thine enemies. When hell is all around you, I'm going to be having a marriage feast, a celebration. Hallelujah. A celebration that life has now in the body, which is a vindication that rapture is at hand. All right. So that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. You see, the bride's anointing is an eagle anointing. And when the bride, when, when, when the old bird gets old and its beak gets crusty, he can go back to the rock where he was born and beat against that rock. And there he will molt and grow new feathers and, and there he'll knock the crust off of his beak. I know that's true. I mean, my, you know, we, we, my dad always loved to have a bird in the house and he, he always had a parakeet that could talk and he would train them to talk and, and, and he had one of, one of the parakeets got old and when he did, there was a growth that came over his nose and, that, and it was closing off his air holes. And, and the, so, you know, he, he was getting more and more sick and my dad looked at him, examined him, recognized the problem, and he took his old fingernail and got to working on that beak. And he began to scrape off and pull the crust off of that old bird where he could breathe through his nose again. Well, I'll tell you what, unbelief in the world and doubt and fear and claims that days of miracles are past can make you so stuffy, closing up your airways where you can't fly. I tell you what, it's time to go back to the rock. Hallelujah, go back to Pentecost. Go back to where we were born, our birthplace. And beat on that rock until the crust comes off. And we believe that Christ is the same again. You see, the coming of El Shaddai to Abraham and Sarah was to bring about the renewing of their youth. The infilling of the Holy Ghost is bringing about a renewing. An old 2,000-year-old church who had long given up on the promised son is changing her back to the same new young bride that she was on the day of Pentecost. I want to hear you. I want you to get what I'm saying. This drink that God is pouring out, this Holy Ghost that he's given, Amen. With this word that he has given comes the power of the word, the Holy Ghost. Somebody help me preach. And in doing so, he is renewing the 2,000-year-old church to be like she was on the day of Pentecost when she was a young girl. That's what he did to Sarah. He changed her back to young again. You see, Satan knows it surely. And I'm going to read some things just real quickly from the, the church age book just to remind you of who we are. 
Satan knows this surely that the original church at Pentecost with the power of God, Mark 16 in action, is the true church that Jesus claims as his own. All else is false. Amen. So there has to be a renewing of the church to be in like she was on the day of Pentecost. Don't you know there is a resistance to the truth? Do you know what that is? It's the working of devils. Because Satan knows assuredly that the original church at Pentecost with the power of God, Mark 16 and actually is the true church. The one that Jesus claims as his own. All else is false. So it's the workings of the devil through impersonations of real gifts like tongues until something so wonderful and precious is speaking in a heavenly language is despised and rejected. It's a mockery of the truth as Isaac was mocked. The supernatural should be celebrated. Hallelujah, that's why God called a feast. It's celebrating the supernatural. Who would have thought this would ever happen? But it's happening. Who would ever thought the young people could get a real baptism of the Holy Ghost in this evil age? But it's happening anyhow. Who would have ever thought there would still be signs and wonders and miracles among the church? But it's happening anyhow. It's an hour of celebration. You see, the old vine is putting forth another branch. The old woman was becoming new again. The old church is having a revival. And when the the old vine puts forth another branch, its branch is just like it was at Pentecost. Because he said, but if the vine ever puts forth another branch of itself, that branch will be exactly like the vine itself. It'll be the same kind of a branch that was brought forth at Pentecost. It will speak in tongues, prophesy, and have the power and signs of the resurrected Christ in it. Amen. Again, taking this, these, these series of quotations just to remind you of this renewing, what God is doing taking Sarah back to the way she was when she was young. Except this time we're predestinated not to fall. He fixed the problem with the womb. By predestinating this one not to fall. He not just turned her back like that. It's not a repeat of Pentecost in the sense that we're going to repeat their fall and they're falling away. This one's not going in the ground. It's going in the garner. That's what the church was at Pentecost is the standard. That's the pattern. There is no other pattern. No matter what the scholar says, that God has not changed that pattern. What God did at Pentecost, he has to keep on doing until the church ages close. How many believe we're to be the true church? then the true church will always try to be like the original Pentecost. The true church of today will try to approximate that early first one. 
In the Ephesian church age, he said it this way, the promise of power which with, which, with which the apostles were endued at Pentecost is to you Jews and to your children Jews and then them that are far off Gentiles and to as many as the Lord our God shall call both Jew and Gentiles until he stops calling the Pentecostal message and power will not cease. What the church had at Pentecost is her inalienable right. Originally, she had the pure word of God. She had the power of the spirit manifested in diverse signs and wonders and gifts of the Holy Ghost. That was her in her original condition. As Jesus went away, he told his disciples to tarry until Pentecost, at which time the very same spirit that was upon him would come back and fall upon them and fill them. Then that called out body, the church, would be in his stead upon the earth, taking his place. And because that same spirit that was in him would be in them, they would do the same, very same works. And any people that is truly the body of Jesus Christ, the true church, will manifest the same works as Jesus did and the Pentecostal church because that because the same spirit will be in them and any other church that does not have the spirit and the manifestations is gonna have to give account to God. And if the church is the true church, it will have the very same spirit and word and acts of power that they had at Pentecost. By experience, it will be a Pentecostal church and there will be tongues and interpretation and prophecy and healing and God will be in the midst of her and God will declare himself in the midst of her as he always has. Hallelujah. Amen. No matter what's going on in the age, we can thank God that in the last age, there will be a true a group rise up, the true bride of the last day, and she will listen to the spirit. In that day of gross darkness, the light will return by the pure word and we will return to the power of Pentecost to welcome back the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now, of course, he said the church is, is no longer the mouthpiece of God. And think about it. Was Ishmael the mouthpiece of God? Was, was Hagar the mouthpiece of God? No, God's mouth was speaking. The prophecy was ongoing. The celebration had begun. The rejoicing was going on. But the church is its own mouthpiece. And so God is turning on her. He will confound her through the prophet and the bride for the voice of God will be in her. Amen. Yes, it says in the last chapter, Revelation verse 17, the spirit and the bride said, come. Once more, the world will hear direct from God as at Pentecost. But of course, the word bride will be repudiated, mocked, rejected, cast away as in the first age. Cast away by who? The bondswoman. Not by God. The bondswoman for her behavior, her and Ishmael, gets sent into tribulation. But God will vindicate this bride by the miraculous. Amen. 
God by the miraculous change of the body, by the meeting in the air, by his signs and wonders among us now. Hallelujah. But it's also a fact that the prophet for the last days must be bringing forth a message from God that will forerun the second coming of Christ. For by his message will the hearts of the children be turned back to the Pentecostal fathers and with the restoration of the word will come the restoration of the power. Hallelujah. So it looks like if we got the true word, we're gonna have the true power. Amen. As it was to be in the age uh, this last age was to be in which the true church would return to be in the bride. She was at Pentecost. We know there must of necessity be a return of dynamic power. Amen. Amen. What about the true seed? It will happen just as we said. The people of God are being made ready by the word of truth from the messenger to this age. In her will be the fullness of Pentecost for the spirit will bring the people right back to where they were at the beginning. Thus, thus saith the Lord. And tell me where he ever failed. God will take the church right back to Pentecost to the beginning. This is what he's doing to Sarah. This is how she's going to bring forth the supernatural. This is why she's bringing forth the supernatural. Now, in the uncertain sound, we're leaving the church age book, and I've just got a couple I want to read to you as we're talking about this church and her renewing. Was the Pentecostal church a noisy church back at the beginning when the Holy Ghost first fell? The Virgin Mary, like she was drunk, staggered under the power of God and all of them like that. And the people said, they're full of new wine, mocking. That's the way the church was ordained. That's the way that that the church, every church was ordained. Every time God has a church, it'll be that same kind of church because it ain't got no uncertain sound. Well, well, our bishop says, I don't care what the bishop says. It's what the word says. The bishop's got an uncertain sound. If his sound is sounding something, if his sound is sounding the same thing, this is, he's right. And then if the church don't act like it did, like that, he's wrong. And if you say you got it and didn't act like that, there's something wrong with you. Now, you know, to be a part of this sinful age and its unbelief, you don't have to be smoking, drinking, lying, fornicating, stealing, committing adultery. Just simply believe he's not the same. Does it get you sent to tribulation? Jesus Christ, again, question and answer, Brother Branham said, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, we're taught that. I don't care what you're taught. The Bible said, he said, let every man's word be a lie and mine's the truth. He said, well, he's principally the same, but I don't, you, you mean he's the same? Yeah, in the church, he's doing the same thing that he did when he was here. Oh, I can't believe that. You're sinning. You're sinning, and he that's born of God of the Holy Ghost don't say those things. And if he's got the Holy Ghost and says those things, that's the evidence he hasn't got it. I don't care what he's done. 
If he don't believe in divine healing, he don't believe in the power of the resurrection, he don't believe in the Holy Ghost being poured out upon us just exactly like it did in the first age, just the same God yesterday, today, and forever, the same thing, the apostles done happening right now, speaking in tongues and rejoicing and all of these other things. If they don't believe that, he's not born of God. For whosoever is born of God did not commit those kind of things. That's how to tell whether they're born of God. Now, let's be clear. This upper room experience is not a return to Azusa Street. Azusa Street did not have the upper room experience. Before they got it, they took speaking in tongues first a gift but you see it is a return by Malachi 4 to the faith of the fathers amen the literal life of Christ notice not not a gift not an anointing the very person of Christ Abraham and his seed after him he said what's what he done to Abraham see what he done to Abraham Justification, justification is church, is seed. Sanctification through Wesley, that great messenger. Sanctification through Pentecost through there, Pentecost through here, Pentecost nursing, bringing. How many understands that when he was El Shaddai, he gave his own strength into Abraham? He never did done nothing but made him promises, promises up to then. But, but now here he's emptying himself into Abraham literally. How many knows that? That was the Holy Ghost, justification, what you believe, sanctification, what the blood done for you. You're sanctified by believing, but when you're filled with the Holy Ghost, it is the person of the Holy Ghost himself. Oh, the person, not an imagination, not some kind of psychology, but the person of the Holy Ghost. And you, my Christian science brother, and you that, that don't believe the Holy Ghost is a person, he is a personal pronoun. The Bible said when he, the Holy Ghost, has come, he will testify me. He is a person, not a thought. He nursed from, not from the articles and from the promises, but now he had the literal life of God flowing into him. And that's what the Pentecostal age done and what he become, a son. Now, Brother Branham tells us in the token of the wrath that is coming on the earth. And we are in a time of wrath. The evening shadows are appearing. The wrath is being poured out from on high. That's what you're seeing already. Pre-tribulation plagues, insanity coming upon the earth. Amen. It's coming upon professors without a possession. It's poured out on ungodly nations. It's not just America, it's all over. Upon ungodly believers. And Brother Branham said, he said, now we're living in the shadows and the wrath is ready to restrike. And God is requiring a token, a sign that you yourself have received his token, the Holy Ghost. It is the only way and the only sign that God will ever pass because it is a literal life of Jesus Christ returned back to the believer. So notice what the token is, the literal life. Not a jump, not a dance, not a gift, not a tongue, not a prophecy. 
but the person. Christ coming to live in you. Now, the Pentecostal charismatic full gospel, oh, they gladly embraced the gifts, but they rejected the giver. And then made a mockery of the Holy Ghost because he still lived in the sin, cutting hair, wearing makeup, staying in their old formal churches of Episcopalian and, and, and whatever else and speaking in tongues. What was that? Making a mockery of the Holy Ghost. But I want you to say, you know, we, we can't just keep pointing out there, 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 there. We got to realize, friend, we got to avoid the same problem in this movement. Generally speaking, many are guilty of saying we've accepted him while rejecting his gifts. I wonder sometimes if the pendulum hadn't swung all the way back the other way. If so, when you do, then you're fulfilling Revelation 3. Refusing Christ. Mocking and refusing the full gospel and putting Christ on the outside of his own church. We don't want him in here. We don't want his gifts in here. We don't want his tongues. We don't want interpretation. We don't want prophecy. We don't want the Holy Ghost moving. We don't want prayer lines. We don't want altar calls. Goodness me, we don't want nobody snotting around our altars. I ain't talking about out there. I'm talking about right in message circles. Amen. Now, Brother Branham said in the message oneness, he said, now the church is engaged to Christ for the wedding. The wedding has never been performed yet. It will be at the wedding supper of the Lamb. So we see that the church is now engaged like a man engaged to his wife. What does he do while, we're, while they're engaged? He's just bestowing all kinds of things, sending her presence, making her feel good. Well, that's what Christ is doing in his church. He's sending us gifts of the spirit. How can you be engaged then when you're denying these gifts exist? It's the very love tokens. It's God's token to the church. Jesus said so. These signs have followed them that believe. Now keep those things in mind. The church must believe every word. Somebody say every word. Every promise. Every iota. And claim it for themselves. And exercise themselves in it. If I was engaged to a girl, I was a single man, I'd send her something, an engagement ring, and she wouldn't wear it. That shows she doesn't believe me. She doesn't want to be my bride. And if Christ sends his church the gifts that he's promised, and they refuse them and say they're not so, they don't want to be the bride of Christ. They are espoused to some other lover, not to Christ, the bridegroom. So the real church keeps the promise, keeps them all, and accepts the gifts that God sends them. Amen. Now, you know, you know, come on. We're having a feast. And in the feast, there's joy. There's excitement. There's passion. There's good things at the table. There's a lot of wine of stimulation to get drunk on. We're celebrating the supernatural. That God's working among his people. Hallelujah, we're testifying that he heals the sick. 
that not even cancerous stand before our prayers. That he heals blind brain bleeds. That he makes the blind to see. Amen. That he gives hearing to the deaf. Amen. I know his power. I've seen his power on display. Are you with me? Amen. But don't be embarrassed to show your joy and your passion and your love. You see, Ishmael identified himself as a bondswoman's son by his reaction to the feast. And on the feast table, there's all kinds of good things. Oh, Brother Tim, there's mystery. Yeah, there's mystery dishes. Seven seal. When you open it, when it's open, it breaks the silence on all the rest of them. Amen. There's great meat and deep, deep mysteries and great truths and wonderful grapes and fruits of the spirit. And on that table, all you have to do if you need healing is ask somebody to pass you a dish of healing. If you need salvation, just ask for it. Pass it my way. I, I need a good dose of the Holy Ghost today. Amen. If you're down in your spirit and you're all depressed, amen, pass me some of that joy, unspeakable and full of glory. It's all on the table. Hallelujah. It's a full banquet. Oh, Brother Tim, you're just trying to advocate some Pentecostal gift. No, I'm not. I'm saying every promise is ours. Everything is on the table. It's all ours. Don't be ashamed of it. You see, Ishmael should have been celebrating. Hagar should have been celebrating. And I wonder sometimes how many get embarrassed when they're shouting, dancing in the spirit, speaking in other tongues. You're Ishmael, the son of a bondswoman mocking you see, it's not dignified enough. <laughs> you know, they're, they're immature children. They're just babies shouting and dancing and rejoicing as they did on the day of Pentecost. Oh, be careful. When Ishmael mocked Isaac, God cast him out. He, it was all right for him to remain with the rest of the believers. Come on. Until he mocked. And when he mocked, there came a separation. God did it. Listen, when Michael or Michelle um, mocked David for dancing before the Lord, she became a cast off. Unworthy to bear the seed of the king. Oh, you've heard it claimed. You've heard it claimed. We have the Holy Ghost without sensation today, without feeling or emotion. Oh, no, you don't. You have emotion. Jealousy is an emotion. Pride is a feeling, an emotion, a sensation. And whatever you got is causing a lot of pride and arrogance. Scorn and contempt for shouting and dancing in the spirit is a feeling, it's a sensation. But the spirit that does that really isn't the Holy Spirit. It's a spirit of blasphemy. 
because Ishmael who laughed at the offspring of the supernatural, so will the children of the bondswoman. And they will be cast out into outer darkness where there is wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, now look, when God sent them out, he didn't just forsake them. He, they, they come to the tribulation and they made a great nation out of them. But they wasn't a part of the church anymore that was getting a body change and a promised son. Now, Brother Bradham talks about this embarrassment, this scorn, this mocking. In the message, Ashamed of Him, is one of his last sermons. He told us about being ashamed. He said, now when the calling out time comes, that you don't belong to any of it. It's very popular to say I'm Pentecostal. It's popular to say I'm Presbyterian. I'm, I'm Lutheran. But when it, when it comes to the time where you have to come out and stand for the word, I don't belong to any of it. That embarrassed. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, then I'll be ashamed of you. Why would he be ashamed of you? Because you're claiming to be his and you won't follow him. What if I said this little boy, he's my son. And he'd turn around and say, who, me? Your son? What do you think I am? It would embarrass me. It would do you with your son. And that's the way that so-called Christianity today, if you name the name of denomination, all right, they'll accept the fatherhood of denomination. But when it comes to accepting the fatherhood of the word of God, no, they're embarrassed. They don't want to say, yes, I've spoke with tongues. I'm still reading. Yes, I've seen vision. 1965, Jeffersonville. Amen. Yes, I believe in divine healing. Yes, I praise the Lord. I'm free from organization. I'm not bowing down to any of that. I'm a servant of Christ. Oh, that just tears them to pieces. To have to do that, see. The fatherhood of the word. Notice, accepting the fatherhood of the word to be able to say what? Yes, I've spoke with tongues. Yes, I've seen visions. Yes, I believe in divine healing. Yes, I praise the Lord. Amen. Now, again, again, the fatherhood of the word. What kind of children does the word father? Brother Bradham told us invisible union. He said there's a union going on and there is a woman there in the secret of the chip and she has become pregnated. And she's got life in her. Now watch and see what they are bringing forth. Notice what kind of children she is bearing. That tells what what her papa is, whether it's the the first Adam or the second Adam. If the church brings forth a child of the second Adam, he acts the second Adam's way of acting like they did on the day of Pentecost. That's really the true second Adam's children. See, their nature is like his and hers. Now, the whole thought of invisible union was a bride-elect church whose womb was reserved for the word of God to bring forth his children, to bring forth his supernatural life. 
So he says a true picture of the modern church today. Neither does the modern church want any of these. See here, it's the Ishmaelites. They don't want any of these screaming, shouting, tongue speaking, Acts 2.38, youngins around her. Yeah, man, she don't want them whooping and crying and screaming. Amen, hallelujah. Why such a child would immediately put her out of her denomination? They had one like that in one of their churches. They tore her out right quick. Why are you letting such stuff as that go on? So you see, she's pregnated with something because she's bringing forth members all the time, but she don't want none of them screaming, hollering, blabbering, Acts 2.38, miserable creatures she thinks they are. It would certainly embarrass her. It would ruin her and her educated, ethical, scientific society church that she belonged to here. They would throw her out at the next council. She can't have it. So she don't want to be pregnated with the word because that's the only kind the word can bring forth. Hallelujah, born of the spirit of God. It has the spirit of God in it. It's no intellectual church joining. Just come in up and say, I believe the message. A creed going, bobbed hair, trimming it off, painted face, and more makeup's coming, though. Come on. No such a thing as that at all. You don't find that in the Word of God. You find an old-fashioned, sanctified, Holy Ghost-filled child, born of the Spirit of God, screaming, hollering, shouting, praising God. Amen. Said so the Word is preached, and the Word will give children birth to them kind of children. But this embarrasses the Ishmaelites and the bondswoman. You see, um, as he said, and ashamed, where they're embarrassed, scorn, scoffing, all of this coming because they're ashamed of the Spirit of God. He says, and how come I can overcome? He said, you know, the holiness groups like Nazarenes, he's referring to Nazarenes and, and uh, uh, pilgrim holiness, these holiness groups, they don't want to, they don't want to, uh, to say Holy Ghost anymore because, and so they say Holy Spirit because to say Holy Ghost would identify them with those tongue-speaking people, which is the very life. And then he goes on and tells how because the rejection of the Holy Ghost, what happened to them that they, uh, that when the unclean spirit came out through sanctification and they walked in dry places, then come other devils and come and lived in them. And the last state of the church was worse than the first. A man who's one been in contact with God, which is the word, the word has been made plain and manifested to him. There is no shameness about that. Amen. You're not embarrassed. It don't embarrass me to say I believe every word of God. It don't embarrass me when the Lord says to say something and you go and say it and do it. It doesn't embarrass me to say I've been filled with the Holy Ghost. It don't embarrass me to say I've spoke with other tongues. It don't embarrass me to say our Lord has showed me visions. It don't embarrass me to say he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. You see, that's the real children. But like Ishmael mocked Abraham's supernatural son, if you mock and make light of the supernatural, a supernatural birth, supernatural gifts, supernatural healings, 
God will cast you right out of his redeemed church into the tribulation where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Turn with me to Galatians chapter four and verse 29. But then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so is it now. Notice now, he said there's a persecution happens. Notice, nevertheless, what say this, says the scripture, cast out the bondswoman and her son, for the son of the bondswoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, and here's my declaration, we are not children of the bondswoman, but children of the free. How many identifies with that today? Amen. We're not children of denomination. We're not children of the bondswoman. We're children of the free woman. What happened to Israel? They were born of the flesh of Abraham. The promise was originally given to them. But on the day of Pentecost, they mocked and scoffed and ridiculed that 120 that came out of the upper room saying that they were drunk with new wine. You see, you, you see that, that's what happened. Let me tell you something, friends. It changed them people. Well, what came out of the upper room, the word did not make them. The word that was given did not make them intellectual eggheads. A bunch of nerds with studious glasses. It made them drunk. Changed. It changed them so until it even changed their language into a heavenly language. But what happened to Israel for rejecting the Holy Ghost? Like Ishmael and Hagar, they were cast out. So it is at this station of time where we're offered El Shaddai. The Holy Ghost, the word in full power. We cannot reject the word. And then the word is everything. Amen. To reject one part of it is reject it all. Remember, all Eve had to do was disbelieve one word. And the word she disbelieved was he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you don't believe he's the same today that he was then, come on. Amen. If you don't believe that, what is it? You're Ishmael's children. What's now? What's this? We cannot reject the word and the word is everything. It is the open book and prophecy is in the book. Tongues is in the book. Healing's in the book. Miracles in the book. Righteous, holy living is in the book. Amen. You cannot have the Holy Ghost and reject any part of the word. But they didn't want it. So they grabbed the breast of denomination instead and took speaking in tongues as their evidence. Now, a lot of the message, folks don't want to nurse from the Holy Ghost either. They're afraid of being called Pentecostal. They make fun of little Isaac. Those tongue-talking Acts 238 youngins. So they adopt a secular approach like the other denominations, the bondswomen do, of Lutheran and Baptists claiming the new birth without an experience. Without, with no emotion, 
It's just something that happens upon the acknowledgement of a belief or profession of faith of the message. And they too have taken the breast of denomination and nurse on a creed. Instead of El Shaddai, the power of the Holy Ghost. And they lean on psychology to change their character, their behavior, their temperament. You see, since they reject or know nothing of the power of the Holy Spirit, they have to borrow ideas from other denominations. This is what was happening in the Pentecostal movement in Brother Branham's time. This is something he struck out against with the assembly of God. The Pentecostals were requiring their ministers pass a test by, given by a psychiatrist. Think about it. Pentecostals who, who were supposed to believe in the supernatural had become so backslidden, so powerless. Instead of giving a word examination, to see if they had the faith once delivered to the saints, they were giving them a test given by a psychiatrist. Now, psychiatrist is, psychiatrist is a branch of medicine is focused on diagnosing and, me, and treating mental health disorders. And the term literally means a medical treatment of the soul. So you see, they were trying to, by man's effort, treat the soul. Now, hold on to my thought for a minute. This is going to get in pretty deep water. You see, like psychologists, psychiatrists use psychotherapy to help their clients. So, you know, again, this is the trend, the trend, the denomination. I want you to watch the bondswoman. You know, to fix the problems in the church of unfaithfulness in marriage, immorality, teen pregnancies, rebellion. They brought in psychology. Because they had lost the power of the Holy Ghost. In other words, they were a bankrupt church. Void of the Spirit of God. And it come to rely on man's efforts because Ishmael came by man's efforts. Oh, my thought, I got a little ways to go on this. Amen. The idea to qualify a ministry, think of this, the Pentecostals did this by a psychiatrist. It come from a devilish and poisonous winds blown by Satan who had killed the revival in the church. And those poison winds of Satan teaches a person not to believe in the supernatural and that the operation of the power of God is fanaticism. And so we have to lean on man's devices to change and reform man. Now, notice this. I want you to get what we have today. We are not trying to reform you young people. Are you old? Amen. We are wanting a transformation by the renewing of your mind, which comes by the Holy Ghost, not by 
teaching you a new way of thinking. You see, so again, it was spiritual death at work that was in the Pentecostal church. And I want you to understand that spiritual death keeps rolling right on up because the last plague to strike the church is spiritual death. And that's what they were requiring was a mental test performed by psychologists to see if his high IQ was high enough to pass the test. But God is our test. Amen. This scripture is our test. This is the test. These signs shall follow them that believe. That's a test of a true ministry. You see, faith in God, a mind that can believe God's word, that's an IQ that was required on the day of Pentecost. The proof of the needed IQ was that these signs follow them that believe. And that IQ was, well, from God was to manifest Christ to the people by signs and wonders following them that believe. So now... Instead of giving psychiatrists giving a mental test to test to see if a man qualifies for service, believers should be given a test to whether he believes God's word or not. That ought to be the credential of every preacher. If you don't believe the word, then there's something wrong with you spiritually and mentally. What is needed is men with an experience who preaches God's word and his Bible and has God's signs. You see, the, the disciples never went before a psychiatrist. I'm going somewhere with this. But they waited in the upper room until they were filled with power from on high. Amen. That education was not what qualified them, nor credentials of a denomination, but such as I have. Amen. That was an authorization shown by the power that raised up a cripple at the gate called Beautiful. And that's what qualified them. Could you imagine the disciples being required to be examined by a psychiatrist first to see whether their response would be to a crisis of sin? Or, you know, their response to sin and weak character was not from an intellectual conception or scientific ideology, but through the power of God. That's how they responded. But you see, the cycle of, of revival and death never fails. And I'm telling you right now, we got too many psychologists in the pulpit. Intellectual men who without a call from God. Are you with me? Amen. The Zeus's movement was drifting, drifting. Their behavior was becoming like the older denominations. And they moved toward formalism and away from the Holy Ghost. And this was true that every move of God began with the power of the Holy Ghost. But as the revival waned, the move became more and more secular and less spiritual in its approach to salvation and deliverance. I'm trying to tell you why there's resistance to altar calls, life change and experiences. is because the church is backslidden. It's a backslidden church that doesn't believe in prayer lines altar calls, the power of the Holy Ghost and that introduces psychology to fix the problems. Counseling is not going to fix your problem. The Holy Ghost baptism and a nature change is what's going to fix your problem. 
Amen. I, I'll just tell you right now, 20 minutes on your knees will do you more good than 20 minutes in my office. Dying out to sin will do you more good for your marriage, for your home, for your family. Get rid of the bitterness. Get rid of the grudges. Get rid of the divisiveness. Families are actually imploding on each other, trying to destroy one another. What kind of spirit is that? It's a spirit of the devil. I'm going to call it what it is. Amen. If you've got a grudge against your brother or your sister, you've got a devil on you. Deal with the thing. Psychology and a counseling session ain't going to fix it. It's when your nature gets changed and you get filled with the Holy Ghost. That'll give you the correct attitude toward your wife, toward your finances, toward your children, toward your parents' children. Amen. But you see, when the revival wanes, you see it, it, the church becomes, the mood comes toward more secular, more less spiritual approach to salvation and deliverance. So they borrow from denominations. I hadn't got to where I'm going yet. Hang on. Brother Branham publicly denounced and warned against the changes that swept over the church as he watched the fall of the Pentecostal Azusa movement as it drifted toward use of worship or forms of worship without inner significance. Even speaking in tongues became manufactured and cheapened. Holiness was no longer an inner work of the heart. So it was just rejected as just works and not grace. When the true grace of God comes, the favor of God in your life, the Holy Ghost, it changes your nature and your attitude toward your dress and your behavior. Amen. But the the Azusa Pentecostals could still work up external emotion, but there was no lasting change inwardly. And so that's why they started introducing psychology. Because without the power of the Holy Ghost in their life, there was no change of character. So we're dealing with people now that, you know, have got sin in their lives and they're not prospering spiritually and they're lazy, indifferent, backslidden, cold, formal, got sin in their lives and the pastor's now trying to deal with them but instead of the power of God, a learned behavior from psychology was now being needed. And the same happens again as the cycle repeats. Pastors bring in, I ain't talking about Pentecostal pastors. I'm talking about message pastors bring in psychology, teaching that the Holy Ghost is not an experience, but something you just grow into. Dude, did you know that some of our Did you know that some of our mainstream churches, I'm not talking about these out in Perusia and Thunders and them, I'm talking about mainstream churches actually went or sent ministry to sit at the table of the seminars of the bondswomen, Ishmaelites, denominational people. 
at their table to find out how to solve problems because of sin and marriage issues in their churches. And this is because the supernatural birth is disdained and despised. You see, no experience of the baptism of the Holy Ghost is wanted or needed. We sure don't want that altar call. We don't want somebody snotting down the altar. You just evolve into a token life. You see, they somehow believe that you just grow out of your sin problem. Oh, we see a little makeup on our kids, you know, our young people. They'll grow out of that. No, they won't. You see, the thought that a learned behavior instead of the power of God changing a life comes because of a bankrupt church. Bankrupt from the power of God. The Bible said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. And Brother Branham always said a creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So when you're a new creation, come on. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So you must be born again by the Holy Ghost and made a new creation where all the old things pass away. Sin, worldliness, desires, It's music, it's thoughts, it's books. Amen, it's it's feminism. Every bit of it. Amen, pass away. And all things, all things become new. You see, Sarah had to be renewed. Now look, I'm one of those old fashioned kind. I don't believe in this evolution stuff. I believe that creation began with a big bang. The word spoken became an action and the power that God released brought a universe into existence. I believe also that this earth and the life upon it and the contaminated universe will be extinguished and will pass away with a great noise. Amen. So you see, that's what will happen to the earth. Heavens and earth will pass, will pass away, or heavens will pass away with a great noise, the Bible said. Is that right? Amen. The whole earth will be on fire. Brother Branham taught this in future home. Amen. He, he, he told us, you know, the fire, the earth will be on fire. It'll ignite the gases on the earth and explode it. And he said, the heavens and earth will pass away. Such an explosion will rocket. It's going to kill every disease, every thistle, every thorn. Everything should be done. The fire will burn it up. And remember, it's not just a literal fire. It's a holy fire. And it will take Satan away and all his devils. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Then he goes on and said, when you know when a man receives a baptism of fire, there's a lot of noise around there. They think it's a shame to hear people scream and shout like that. Just wait till the earth gets her baptism. Amen. And when your old flesh gets this baptism of fire, it kills out sin, adultery, pornography, the world, sin, and it passes away with a great noise. Hallelujah. With a new creation. 
it burns out all sin and sin nature and desire for sin is done away with. I believe that's what happens to the fallen man of humanity. When he comes to Christ, it happens with the big bang. Cleanses you from sin. You see, it don't take psychology. There's no gradual nature change. It's a new creation with the big bang. Old things are passed away. The love for sin, sin nature, its desires, its lust all pass away. And behold, all things become new. Amen. Now, let me just give you the signs of a bankrupt church. If the church was truly spiritually rich, because that's what Laodicea claims, I'm rich, its influence would be felt upon community life. But exactly what kind of lives are these so-called spiritual and influential men of the community living? Out in the suburbia or out in the better class districts, there abounds wife swapping, prostitution, Bands of children crashing parties, exacting terrible toll and property damage. Immorality has reached an all-time high in promiscuous sex, acts and narcotic addictions and gambling and stealing and all kinds of evils. That's what happens in suburbia. What happens in the slums, in the inner cities, murders, shootings every night. And the same kind of morality, immorality that's in the suburbs is even more in the slums. So the church ain't having too much effect on the community, is it? So he said the church goes on claiming how fine is this generation, how full are the churches, and how responsive are the natives on the mission fields. The church has turned the people over to doctors, especially the psychiatrists, how it can prat about being spiritually rich is more than I know of. It, is, it isn't true. They are bankrupt and don't know it. Come on now. And we're a bankrupt church when we have to depend on psychology to fix our children and psychology to fix our marriage and psychology to understand how how to save your pennies and, and pay off your debts and be responsible with your money. I'll tell you what you really need is the Holy Ghost. It'll change your attitude about life. Amen. Some of you who never tithe will start tithing. You put God first. You'll give offerings unto the Lord. You'll see the fruits of it. Amen. You'll see some principles start happening in your life. I'm talking the truth now. You'll see some changes start happening. You'll there be attitude changes about work about family, about your friends, your associates, your business dealings. Everything comes under the Holy Ghost. But today pastors are desperate because of sin. They're using psychology to conform or reform their people. And this is used in marriage counseling, money management, 
And I'm going back several, several years ago now. The rage was Bill Gothard. This is what I'd hear among the pastors. Bill Gothard. And message pastors went to, went to classes by Bill Gothard to learn how to get character development. You know, to get character development into the Christians. You know, uh, to help with their marriages. To learn principles of how to be a, a family and Christian education. And, all. and they were going out here to the Ishmael's lights to Bill Gothard to learn his psychology to bring it, I'm not talking about Pentecost out here. Listen, if Brother Branham decried the Pentecostals for putting their people out there before psychiatrists, I've got the right to do the same thing to message people and hold them accountable for bringing psychology into the church. And it was because of backslidden preachers who denied the power of God, who scorned the movement of the Holy Ghost, And the problem with Bill Gothard was after all his seminars on marriage and Christian living was caught up in sex scandals himself, what he taught didn't even work on himself. And then these saints, pastors, listen, I'm not lying. You go to a convention and laying out with books on James Dobson, Christian psychology, and, and out here, take these home, read these, learn this. This will help you with your rebellious child. This is going to help you with your marriage. This is going to help you with your finances. And, and this is what we're going to fix the problems of the church. Not with an altar call. Not with a consecration to God. Not by surrenderance to the Holy Ghost. But by psychology. Which was borrowing from the Ishmaelites. The bondswoman, while scorning the Holy Ghost. Amen. I know, I know exactly what I'm talking about. Let me tell you something, friends. Don't hybrid this message. Don't mix psychology in it. Amen. God's word plus psychology produces psychoheresy. You see, true Christianity does not change the mind. It gives a new mind. Amen. James Dobson, you read about him. He went to the Vatican, united with the Pope. Oh, he did. You see, it's a bankrupt church that uses psychology to reform its people. The gospel is not about reforming. It's about transforming. Amen. And I just say, quit defending psychology. Repent of it. Amen. Preaching the gospel does not move the mind. It does move the mind of man. And his thinking from sin and worldliness toward Christ and changing his mind and setting his affections upon things above in order to bring him repentance. But only filling the soul with God, changing the nature, does it have the desired effect of salvation. The indwelling of the Holy Ghost is the only true change. It's the Holy Ghost that dissolves fears and gives an inward peace. Amen. It changes the entertainment of the spirit from dirty carnal music and jokes to an old-fashioned praise for God. Amen. It puts a love for God in your heart. It puts a desire for righteousness. You see, introducing psychology to change behavior does not deal with the root problem of sin. 
It only helps with the symptoms. You see, the, the root problem is still there, ready to raise up at the most inopportune time. Amen. But instead of psychiatrists, believers are have the leadership of the Holy Ghost directing our thoughts and our attitudes. And it changes our lives and our behaviors by giving us the mind of Christ. Amen. And the mind of Christ is the Holy Ghost. It causes us to have a Christ-like attitude and outlook on sin. So you see, the last plague is spiritual death. Oh, my. What are you seeing? Embalming fluid put into the church. Let me tell you something. The Holy Ghost is not outdated. It still works. I can testify. It makes sainted men and women. Amen. Brother Branham said, how many understands when else said I that he gave his own strength to Abraham? He never did nothing but made him promises, promises. But now he's emptying himself out into Abraham, literally. When you're filled with the Holy Ghost, it's the person of Christ himself. The person, not imagination, not some kind of psychology, but the person of the Holy Ghost. You see, he nursed from the, he nursed the literal life of God into him. So having this literal life of God flowing in makes him believe in the supernatural. The Holy Ghost makes you believe. It's not an external religion, but it's on the inside working out. It flows like a river of water. It bubbles up into eternal life. Like the spring that Brother Branham saw and he said, what makes you so bubbly and happy? Is it because I drink out of your rabbits and deer or the whatever? He said, no, there's a power down there that is pushing up this water. Amen. And it's making me bubble. And he said, there's something about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. It makes him believe the supernatural. It makes him believe in God. Amen. It makes him believe he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you're born of God, you will believe in the supernatural. Amen. I'll tell you what, we got proof of it. We got the young people. We got people right here that have been transformed by the power of God. One after another that we can call. It wasn't just easy believism. Their life was changed. Hallelujah, what happened to you, Brother Johnny? Amen, your life got changed. Amen, you didn't get reformed, you got transformed. Amen, it was, but it was not without emotion, it had emotion with it. It was with, not without sensation, it's not sensation, but it has sensation with it. Amen, that's why the prophet of God cried out against emotion without the word or word without emotion. But you see, Brother Branham said in question and answers, he said, take it by the scripture. If a man that's born of God is born of God, he believes every word of God wrote and says he's just as great today as he ever was. And he never changes. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he's filled with the Holy Ghost, he got the same Holy Ghost that he, got, that he gave on the day of Pentecost and it makes him act the same way and do the same thing. If he's born of the Spirit of God, Mark 16, these signs shall follow them to believe. If he says, I'm a believer and them signs don't follow, he's a make-believer, not a believer. 
hole. They claim today. We don't have the Holy Ghost like that on the day of Pentecost. They claim we got something different. They claim that 1906 was the upper room happening again, and it wasn't. That's a lie. 1906 Azusa Pentecost was the Holy Spirit baptizing with gifts. That's not what we have. We have the person. Come on. Justification made way for sanctification. Sanctification made way for the baptism of the Holy Ghost, which gave the gift. And the baptism of the Holy Ghost gives way to the person himself. You see, this is what God wanted them to have. They wanted to have his own life into the church. And Brother Branham identified himself with the same Holy Ghost that fell on the day of Pentecost. Now, so we aren't false teachers with a false birth. The children of this word are not empty bubble dancers. That's not who we are. But we are people who live higher than what we jump. Amen. Neither are we a bunch of stillborn mixed between sheep and goats. Amen. Who never breathe the breath of life. Stillborn babies with the Holy Ghost. The stillborn, you know, are just, they're just lifeless blobs of theology. And that's what the church is producing. They lifeless blobs of theology who can't live an overcoming life. But we're showing you an Isaac. A child of the supernatural. And you can make fun of him and you can mock him all you want to at this celebration. But I tell you what, it's proof that the rapture is at hand because there is a church being renewed like she was on the day of Pentecost. And that's why she's bringing forth an Isaac. Hallelujah. You see, false teachers bring forth false birth. Amen. False prophets bring forth false births. And we're seeing it, false births being brought. But there's also a birth that's coming forth that births you back to the place where you should have been born at the beginning, where God's bringing forth sons and daughters of God. I can point you to a word-born bride. That's what we're pointing to, a word-born bride. I'm pointing you that we're having a feast. Amen. We can feast on every promise. Amen. Right here from this pulpit and, and other pulpits like it around the world, we're not the only one by any means. Amen. There's many others that are proclaiming the truth. They can, they can preach the seven thunders. They can preach the mystery revealed. They can preach the silence has been broken. Amen. They can identify the church ages and, and, the, and the spirits down to the ages. They can identify the messengers. Somebody help me preach. They can, it's all on the table. But on our table is every divine promise. Amen. On our table is divine healing. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Amen. And on our table is the Holy Ghost and the power of God and the salvation. And it's not just a psychology. It's the Holy Ghost at work. Are you with me, church? 
that's what we're having in this day. A word born bride and word born children. Acts 2, 38, tongues speaking, blabbering, shouting, screaming. And if you see us getting a little happy, we're having a feast. And if you see us shouting a little bit and acting a little unseemly, it's because life, supernatural life, is being manifested. And if you see rejoicing and shouting and people there running the aisles, don't mock us and make fun of us. Join in with us. We're celebrating life. Tell you what, don't let it go, Ishmaelite. Steal your joy. Don't get embarrassed of this gospel. Don't get ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God in salvation. My fatherhood is the word, and the word is bringing forth lively children. Children with power, children with life. And we're not ashamed to say we have the word of power. We're not ashamed to say the sound of the king is in our midst. We're not a shout. We're not afraid. We're not afraid to rejoice. Yes, we do speak with tongues. Yes, the spirit of prophecy is among us. Yes, we are the bride. Yes, we're the old church that was so old, but now we got a spring in our step. Now the wrinkles are going because there'll be a bride without a spot or a wrinkle or blemish or any such thing. Amen. Now we got a bride like she was on the day of Pentecost. Now we got a renewed church, a renewed people with renewed power. And we got it from nursing on the Holy Ghost. El Shaddai. name of the Lord. Hallelujah. You can say amen. 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 Praise the name of the Lord. What a mighty God do we serve. Amen. Let's just sing that. Flow through me, Holy Spirit. Flow through me. Flow through me, Holy Spirit. Flow Hey. 